Hello, friends, and welcome to segment number three of Las Vegas. Thank you for coming back and tuning in. And I guess we should just hop right on in there. So here we go. On January 25th, 1941, the U.S. Army established a flexible gunnery school for the United States Army Air Corps in Las Vegas. Mayor John L. Russell signed over land to the U.S. Army Quartermaster Corps for this development. The gunnery school later would become Nellis Air Force Base. The U.S. Army was not pleased with the illegal prostitution in Las Vegas and in 1942 forced Las Vegas to outlaw the practice, putting Block 16, the local red light district, permanently out of business. On April 3, 1941, hotel owner Thomas Hall opened the El Rancho Vegas. It was the first resort on what would become the Las Vegas Strip. The hotel gained much of its fame from the gourmet buffet that it offered. On October 30, 1942, Texas cinema magnate R.E. Griffith rebuilt on the site of the nightclub called Paradise that first opened in 1930 and renamed it Hotel Last Frontier. A few more resorts were built on and around Fremont Street, but it was the next hotel on the Strip that publicly demonstrated the influence of organized crime in Las Vegas, the Flamingo. Although ethnic organized crime figures had been involved in some of the operations at the hotels, the Mafia bosses never owned or controlled the hotels and clubs which remained monopolized by hard-bitten local Las Vegas families who were unwilling to give any ground to the crime bosses and proved strong enough to push back. This changed in post-war Las Vegas when Jewish gangster Bugsy Siegel with help from friend and fellow mob boss, Mayor Lansky, poured money through Mormon-owned banks for cover of legitimacy and built the Flamingo in 1946. Siegel modeled his enterprise on the long-running gambling empire in Galveston, Texas, which had pioneered the high-class casino concepts that became mainstream here on the Strip. The Flamingo instantly lost money, and Bugsy Siegel died in a hail of gunfire in Beverly Hills, California in the summer of 1947. Additionally, local police and Clark County Sheriff deputies were notorious for their heavy-handed tactics towards mobsters who grew too big for their pants. However, many mobsters saw the potential that gambling offered in Las Vegas. After gambling was legalized, the Bank of Las Vegas, led by E. Perry Thomas, became the first bank to lend money to the casinos, which Thomas regarded as the most important businesses in Las Vegas. At the same time, Alan Dorfman, a close associate of longtime IBT president Jimmy Hoffa, and a known associate of the Chicago outfit, took over the Teamsters Central States Pension Fund, which began lending money to the Las Vegas casino owners and developers. They provided funding to build the Sahara, the Sands, the New Frontier, the Royal Nevada, the Showboat, the Riviera, the Fremont, Binion's Horseshoe, which was the Apache Hotel, and finally, the Tropicana. Even with the general knowledge that some of the owners of these casino resorts had dubious backgrounds, 
By 1954, over 8 million people were visiting Las Vegas yearly, pumping $200 million into casinos. Gambling was no longer the only attraction. The biggest stars of films and music like Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Andy Williams, otherwise known as the Rat Pack, Liberace, Bing Crosby, Carol Channing, and others performed in intimate settings. After coming to see these stars, the tourist would resume gambling and then eat at the gourmet buffets that have become a staple of the casino industry. The ongoing hearing concluded that organized crime money was demonstrably tied to the Las Vegas casinos and was becoming the controlling interest in the city, thereby earning for the groups vast amounts of income which was strengthening their influence in the country. This led to a proposal by the Senate to institute federal gaming control. Only the power and influence of Nevada Senator Pat McCarran did this proposal die in committee. Along with their connections in Hollywood and New York City, these interests in Las Vegas were able to use publicity provided by these media capitals to steer the rapid growth of tourism into Las Vegas, thereby dooming Galveston, Texas, Hot Springs, Arkansas, and other illegal gaming centers around the nation. Nevada's legal gaming as well as the paradoxal increased scrutiny by local and federal law enforcement in these other venues during the 1950s made their demise inevitable. While the Strip was booming, the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission on January 27, 1951 detonated the first of over a hundred atmospheric explosions at the Nevada test site. Despite the dangers and risk of radiation exposure from the fallout, which was greatly underestimated at the time, Las Vegas advertised the explosions as another tourist attraction and offered atomic cocktails in the Sky Room restaurant at the Desert Inn that provided the highest view of the mushroom clouds. During this time, the Las Vegas Chamber of Commerce successfully pushed for Vegas to become nicknamed the Atomic City. Several Miss Atomic pageants were also held to help display the city's modernism and to continue spinning messages on the nearby testing to tourists. The influx of government employees for the Atomic Energy Commission and from the Mormon-controlled Bank of Las Vegas, spearheaded by E. Perry Thomas, during those years funded the growing boom in casinos. But Las Vegas was doing more than growing casinos. In 1948, McCarran Field was established for commercial air traffic. In 1957, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, was first established. Initially, was a branch of the University of Nevada, Reno, and becoming independent in 1969. In 1959, the Clark County Commission built the Las Vegas Convention Center, which would become a vital part of the area's economy a new utility company, Southwest Gas, expanded into Las Vegas in 1954. The atmospheric test would continue until enactment of the Partial Test Ban Treaty in 1963, when the test moved underground. The last test explosion was in 1992. Thank you for joining me for segment number three of Las Vegas. 
please tune in next time for segment number four. This is Johnny saying thank you for listening. Good day.